Chapter 11 The Comforts Belonging to Mourners They Shall Be Comforted Matthew 5, 4 Having already presented to you the dark side of a text, I will now show you the light side. They shall be comforted. Observe the following. Mourning goes before comfort just as piercing a wound precedes the cure. The antinomian talks about comfort, but belittles mourning for sin. He is like a foolish patient who, having a pill prescribed for him, licks the sugar but throws away the pill. The libertine is all for joy and comfort. He licks the sugar but throws away the bitter pill of repentance. If we would ever have true comfort, we must have it in God's way and method. Sorrow for sin brings in joy. I will lead him also and restore comforts unto him and to his mourners. Isaiah 57:18. The true sunshine of joy comes after a shower of tears. We may as well expect the crop without seed as to expect comfort without gospel mourning. Observe that God keeps his best wine until last. John 2:10. He first prescribes mourning for sin, and then he sets out the wine of consolation. The devil does quite the contrary. He shows the best first and keeps the worst until last. He first shows the wine sparkling in the glass, and then comes the biting of the serpent. Proverbs 23:32. Satan sets his dainty dishes before men. He presents sin to them colored with beauty, sweetened with pleasure, and silvered with profit. And then afterward, the sad reckoning is brought in. He first showed Judas the silver bait, and then he struck him with the hook. This is the reason why sin has so many followers, because it shows the best first. First are the golden crowns, and then comes the lion's teeth. Revelation 9, 7-8. However, God shows the worst first. He first prescribes a bitter portion, and then he brings a pleasant cure. They shall be comforted. Observe that gospel tears are not lost. They are seeds of comfort. While the repentant person pours out tears, God pours in joy. If you want to be cheerful, said Chrysostom, be sad. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. Psalm 126, 5. It was the purpose of Christ's anointing and coming into the world to comfort those who mourn. Isaiah 61, 3. As Chrysostom said, Christ had the oil of gladness poured on him so that he might pour it upon the mourner. The Apostle Paul may well call it a repentance to salvation not to be repented of. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. A man's drunkenness is to be repented of, and his impurity is to be repented of. But his repentance is never to be repented of because it is the inlet to joy. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is sweet fruit from a bitter stock. Christ caused the earthen vessels to be filled with water, and then turned the water into wine. John 2 9. So when the eye, that earthen vessel, has been filled to the brim with water, then Christ will turn the water of tears into the wine of joy.
Basil said that holy mourning is the seed out of which the flower of eternal joy grows. The reason why the mourner will be comforted is because mourning is made on purpose for this reason. Mourning is not prescribed for itself, but that it may lead to something else, that it may lead to a path for comfort. Therefore, we sow in tears so we may reap in joy. Psalm 126, 5. Holy mourning is spiritual medicine. A medicine is not prescribed for itself, but for the sake of health. Gospel mourning is appointed to bring forth joy. And the spiritual mourner is the person most suited for comfort. When the heart is broken for sin, it is ready for joy. God pours the golden oil of comfort into broken vessels. The mourner's heart is emptied of pride, and God fills the empty with his blessing. The mourner's tears have helped to purge out corruption, and after the purging medicine, God gives a sweet drink. The mourner is ready to faint away under the burden of sin, and then the bottle of strong water comes seasonably. The Lord wants the immoral person, upon his deep humiliation, to be comforted lest he should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. 2 Corinthians 2 7. This is the mourner's privilege. He shall be comforted. The valley of tears brings the soul into a paradise of joy. A sinner's joy brings forth sorrow. The mourner's sorrow brings forth joy. Your sorrow shall be turned into joy. John 16.20. The saints have a wet seed time, but a joyful harvest. They shall be comforted. To illustrate this, I will show you what the comforts are that the mourners will have. These comforts are of a divine kind, and they are twofold, either here or hereafter. They are called the consolations of God, Job 15.11. That is, they are great comforts that only God can give. They exceed all other comforts as far as heaven exceeds earth. The root on which these comforts grow is the blessed Spirit. He is called the Comforter, John 14, 26, and comfort is said to be a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. Christ purchased peace, and the Spirit speaks peace. How does the Spirit comfort? The Holy Spirit comforts either as an intermediary or directly. The Holy Spirit comforts as an intermediary by helping us to apply the promises to ourselves and draw water out of those wells of salvation. Isaiah 12:3. We lie as dead children at the breast until the Spirit helps us to drink the milk of a promise. When the Spirit has taught faith this art, comfort flows in. Oh, how sweet is the milk of a promise! And the Holy Spirit comforts directly. By a more direct act, the Spirit presents God to the soul as reconciled. It sheds His love abroad in the heart from where infinite joy flows. Romans 5 5. The Spirit secretly whispers pardon for sin, and the sight of a pardon fills the heart with joy. Be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven thee. Matthew 9, 2. So that I may speak more fully to this point, I will show you the qualifications and virtues of these comforts that God gives to his mourners. 
These comforts are real comforts. The Spirit of God cannot witness to that which is untrue. There are many people in this age who pretend to comfort, but their comforts are mere imitations. The body may as well expand with wind as with flesh. A person may just as well be filled with false as with true comforts. The comforts of the saints are certain. They have the seal of the Spirit set to them. 2 Corinthians 1.22, Ephesians 1.13. A seal is for confirmation. When a deed is sealed, it is firm and unquestionable. When a Christian has the seal of the Spirit stamped upon his heart, he is confirmed in the love of God. These comforts of the Spirit that are unquestionably sure differ from those that are false and artificial in three ways. First, the comforts of God's Spirit are laid in deep conviction, and when He, the Comforter, is come, He will reprove, or, as the Greek word is, He will convince the world of sin. John 16, 8. Why does conviction go before consolation? Conviction prepares a person for comfort. By conviction, the Spirit gently inclines the heart to seek after Christ and then to receive Christ. Once the soul is convinced of sin and of the hell that follows it, a Savior is precious. When the Spirit has shot in the arrow of conviction, a poor soul then asks, Where may I meet with Christ? In what ordinance may I come to enjoy Christ? Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? Song of Solomon 3 3. All the world for one glimpse of my Savior. By conviction, the Holy Spirit makes the heart willing to receive Christ upon his own terms. By nature, man would negotiate and make a contract with Christ. He would take a half Christ. He would take him for a Savior, but not for a prince. He would accept Christ as he has a head, that is, as the most fine gold. Song of Solomon 5.11, but not as he has the government upon his shoulder, Isaiah 9.6. However, when God lets loose the spirit of bondage and convinces a sinner of his lost, ruined condition, he is then content to have Christ upon any terms. When Paul was struck down to the ground by a spirit of conviction, he cried out, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Acts 9.6. No matter what conditions and requirements God offers, the soul will accept them. When someone is brought to Christ's terms to believe and obey, then he is ready for mercy. When the Spirit of God has been a spirit of conviction, then he becomes a spirit of consolation. After the plow of the law has gone upon the heart and has broken up the fallow ground, God sows the seed of comfort. Those who boast of comfort, but were never convicted or broken for sin, have reason to suspect that their comfort is a delusion of Satan. It is like the joy of a madman who imagines himself to be king, but it may be said of his laughter, it is mad. Ecclesiastes 2.2. The seed that lacked deepness of earth, withered. Matthew 13.5. That comfort that lacks deepness of earth, deep humiliation and conviction, will soon wither and come to nothing. Before the Spirit of God is a comforting Spirit. He is a sanctifying Spirit. As God's Spirit is called the Comforter, 
John 14.26, so he is called the Spirit of grace, Zechariah 12.10. Grace is the work of the Spirit. Comfort is the seal of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit goes before the seal. The graces of the Spirit are compared to water, Isaiah 44, 3, and to oil, Isaiah 61, 3. God first pours in the water of the Spirit, and then comes the oil of gladness. The oil, in this sense, runs above the water. By this we will know whether our comforts are true and genuine. Some people who never had the sanctifying Spirit talk of the comforting Spirit. They boast of assurance but never had grace. These are false joys. These comforts will leave people at death. They will end in horror and despair. God's Spirit will never set seal to a blank page. First, the heart must be an epistle written with the finger of the Holy Spirit, and then it is sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13. The comforts of the Spirit are humbling The soul asks, Lord, what am I that I should have a smile from heaven, and that you would give me a personal seal of your love? The more water that is poured into a bucket, the lower it descends. The fuller the ship is laden with sweet spices, the lower it sails. The more a Christian is filled with the sweet comforts of the Spirit, the lower he sails in humility. The fuller a tree is of fruit, the lower the branch hangs. The fuller we are of the fruit of the Spirit, such as love, joy, and peace, Galatians 5.22, the more we bend in humility. St. Paul, a chosen vessel, Acts 9.15, filled with the wine of the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, did not abound more in joy than in lowliness of mind, Philippians 2.3. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. Ephesians 3, 8. He who was the chief of the apostles calls himself the least of the saints. Those who say they have comfort, but are proud, and those who have learned to despise others and are climbed above commands, their comforts are delusions. The devil is not only able to transform himself into an angel of light, 2 Corinthians 11.14, but he can transform himself into the comforter. It is easy to counterfeit money, to silver over brass, and put the king's image upon it. The devil can silver over false comforts and make them look as if they have the stamp of the king of heaven upon them. The comforts of God are humbling. Although they lift the heart up in thankfulness, they do not puff it up in pride. Second, The comforts God gives His mourners are unmixed. They are not diluted with any bitter ingredients. Worldly comforts are like wine that contains sediment. Even in laughter the heart is sorrowful. Proverbs 14.13 Queen Mary Tudor once said that if she were opened, they would find Calais engraved on her heart. If the chest of a sinner were cut and opened up, you would find a worm gnawing at his heart. Guilt is a wolf that feeds in the heart of his comfort. A sinner may have a smiling countenance, but a condemning conscience. His joy is like the joy of a man in debt who is every hour in fear of arrest. The comforts of wicked people 
are spiced with bitterness. They are bitter wine. These are the men who tremble and grow pale at every lightning flash, and when it thunders are half dead with terror at the very first rumbling of the heavens. Spiritual comforts, though, are pure. They are not muddied with guilt or mixed with fear. They are the pure wine of the Spirit. The mourner feels joy and nothing but joy. Third, the comforts God gives His mourners are sweet. Truly, the light is sweet. Ecclesiastes 11 7. So is the light of God's countenance. How sweet are those comforts that bring the Comforter along with them. John 14 16. Therefore, the love of God shed into the heart is said to be better than wine. Song of Solomon 1 2. Wine pleases the palate, but the love of God cheers the conscience. The lips of Christ drop sweet-smelling myrrh, Song of Solomon 5.13. The comforts God gives are a Christian's music. They are the golden pot of manna, the nectar and fragrance of a Christian. They are the saint's festival, their banqueting substance. So sweet are these divine comforts that the church sometimes faints for lack of them. Stay me with flagons, Song of Solomon 2.5. In metonymy, the name of an accompanying thing is substituted for the thing meant. The flagons are used for the wine. By these flagons are meant the comforts of the Spirit. The Hebrew word signifies all variety of delights to show the abundance of savor and sweetness in these comforts of the Spirit. Comfort me with apples, Song of Solomon 2.5. Apples are sweet in taste and fragrant in smell, and also sweet and delicious are those apples that grow upon the tree in paradise. These comforts from above are so sweet that they make all other comforts sweet, including health, estate, and relations. They are like sauce that makes all our earthly possessions and enjoyments come off with a bitter relish. So sweet are these comforts of the Spirit that they much lessen and decrease our joy in worldly things. He who has been drinking spirits of wine will not much thirst after water, and that person who has once tasted how sweet the Lord is, Psalm 34, 8, and has drunk the invigorating drink of the Spirit, will not thirst excessively after worldly delights. Those who play with dogs and birds is a sign that they have no children. For those who are excessive in their desire and love of the creature declare plainly that they never had better comforts. Fourth, these comforts that God gives His mourners are holy comforts. They are called the comfort of the Holy Ghost, Acts 9.31. Everything reproduces its own kind. The Holy Spirit can no more produce impure joys in the soul than the sun can produce darkness. He who has the comforts of the Spirit looks upon himself as a person committed to do God more service. Has the Lord looked upon me with a smiling face? I can never pray enough. I can never love God enough. The comforts of the Spirit raise in the heart a holy animosity against sin. The dove hates every feather that has grown upon the hawk, and those who know the comforts of the Spirit hate every motion and temptation to evil. 
He who has a principle of life in him opposes everything that would destroy life. He hates poison. In the same way, he who has the comforts of the Spirit living in him sets himself against those sins that would murder his comforts. Divine comforts give the soul more familiarity with God. Our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. 1 John 1, 3. Fifth, the comforts reserved for the mourners are filling comforts. The God of hope fill you with all joy. Romans 15:13 Ask and ye shall receive that your joy may be full John 16:24 When God pours in the joys of heaven they fill the heart and make it overflow I am exceeding joyful 2 Corinthians 7:4 The Greek words say I overflow with joy as a cup that is filled with wine until it runs over Outward comforts can no more fill the heart than a triangle can fill a circle. Spiritual joys are satisfying. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth will praise thee with joyful lips. Psalm 63, 5 David's heart was full, and the joy broke out at his lips. Thou hast put gladness in my heart. Psalm 4, 7 Worldly joys put gladness into the face. They rejoice in appearance, 2 Corinthians 5.12, but the Spirit of God puts gladness into the heart. Divine joys are heart joys. Their heart shall rejoice, Zechariah 10.7, and your heart shall rejoice, John 16.22. A believer rejoices in God, my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. Luke one forty seven. To show how filling these comforts are that are of a heavenly origin, the psalmist says, Thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Psalm four seven. Corn and wine may delight, but they will not satisfy. They have their emptiness and lack. We may say as Zechariah ten two that they comfort in vain. Outward comforts sooner sicken than cheer, and sooner weary than fill. Xerxes offered great rewards to him who could find out a new pleasure, but the comforts of the Spirit are satisfactory. They recruit the heart. Thy comforts delight my soul. Psalm ninety-four nineteen. There is as much difference between heavenly and earthly comforts as between a banquet that is eaten and one that is painted on the wall. Sixth, the comforts God gives His mourners in this life are glorious comforts. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. 1 Peter 1 8. They are glorious because they are a foretaste of that joy that we will have in a glorified condition. These comforts are a gift and promise of glory. They put us in heaven before our time. Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13-14 The earnest is part of the total sum. The comforts of the Spirit are the earnest, the cluster of grapes at Eshkol, Numbers 13, 23, the first fruits of the heavenly Canaan. 
The joys of the Spirit are glorious, in opposition to other joys, which, compared with these, are inglorious and vile. A carnal man's joy, just as it is light-hearted and showy, so it is corrupt. He drinks nothing but sediment. Ye rejoice in a thing of naught. Amos 6.13. A carnal spirit rejoices because he can say, This house is his, this estate is his, etc. But a gracious spirit rejoices because he can say, This God is his. For this God is our God for ever and ever. Psalm 48.14. The reason for a Christian's joy is glorious. He rejoices that he is an heir of the promise. The joy of a godly person is made up of that which is the angel's joy. He triumphs in the light of God's countenance. His joy is that which is Christ's own joy. He rejoices in the mystical union that is begun here and perfected in heaven. This is why the joy of the saints is a joy full of glory. Seventh, the comforts that God gives his mourners are infinitely satisfying and delightful. They are so delightful and amazing that they cause a joy that, as some of the scholarly say, is so great that it cannot be expressed. Of all things, joy is the most difficult to be explained. It is called joy unspeakable, 1 Peter 1, 8. You may sooner taste honey than tell how sweet it is. The most moving words can no more set forth the comforts of the Spirit than the most unique pencil can draw the life and breath of a man. The angels cannot express the joys they feel. Some people have been so overwhelmed with the sweet raptures of joy that they have not been able to contain themselves, but, as Moses, have died with a gentle touch from God. Deuteronomy 34, 5. We have often seen the glass break with the strength of the drink put into it. Eighth, these comforts of the Spirit are powerful. They are strong tonics, strong consolation, as the author of Hebrews phrases it, Hebrews 6.18. Divine comfort strengthens for duty. The joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10. Joy grinds and sharpens effort. A man who is equipped and energized with the comfort of God's Spirit goes with vitality and zeal through the duties of Christian devotion. He believes firmly, he loves fervently, and he is carried full sail in duty. The joy of the Lord is his strength. Divine comfort supports under affliction. Having received the word in much affliction with joy. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6. The wine of the Spirit can sweeten the waters of Mara. Exodus 15.23. Those who are possessed of these heavenly comforts can gather grapes of thorns and gather honey out of the lion's carcass. They are strong consolations, indeed, that can endure the fiery trial, 1 Peter 4.12, and can turn the flame into a bed of roses. How powerful is that comfort that can make a Christian glory in tribulations? Romans 5, 3. A believer is never so sad that he cannot rejoice. The bird of paradise can sing in the winter, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. 2 Corinthians 6, 10. 
When sickness comes, the sense of pardon takes away the sense of pain. The inhabitant shall not say, I am sick. Isaiah 33:24. When death comes, the Christian is above it. O oh, death, where is thy sting? 1 Corinthians 15:55. At the end of the rod, a Christian tastes honey. These are strong consolations. Ninth, the comforts God's mourners have are heart-quieting comforts. They cause a sweet submission and rest in the soul. The heart of a Christian is in a kind of confusion and disorder, like the needle in the compass. It shakes and trembles until the comforter comes. Some creatures cannot live except in the sun. A Christian is even dead in the nest unless he has the sunlight of God's countenance. Hide not thy face from me, lest I be like unto them that go down into the pit. Psalm 143, 7. Nothing but the mother's milk will quiet the child. It is only the milk of consolation that calms the believer. And tenth, finally, the comforts of the Spirit are abiding comforts. As they abound in us, so they abide with us. He shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John 14, 16. Worldly comforts are always in motion, ready to fly. They are like a flash flood or a flash of lightning. They will often pass away and glide from your closest embrace. All things here are temporary, but the comforts with which God feeds his mourners are immortal. Who hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation? 2 Thessalonians 2.16. Although a Christian does not always have a full beam of comfort, yet he has a dawning of it in his soul. He always has a ground of hope and a root of joy. Within him is that which bears up his heart, and which he would not part with on any terms. Behold then the mourner's benefit. He shall be comforted. David, who was the great mourner of Israel, was also the sweet psalmist of Israel. 2 Samuel 23.1 The weeping dove will be covered with the golden feathers of comfort. Oh, how rare and excellent are these comforts! However, the question may be asked, may not God's mourners lack these comforts? Spiritual mourners have a tendency to these comforts, yet they may sometimes lack them. God is a free agent. He will have the timing of our comforts. He has a self-freedom to do what He will. The Holy One of Israel will not be limited. He reserves His prerogative to give or suspend comfort as He desires. If we are without comfort for a while, we must not quarrel with His management. Just as the sailor is not to argue with providence because the wind blows out of the east when he desires it to blow out of the west, nor is the farmer to complain when God stops the bottles of heaven in a time of drought, so neither is anyone to dispute or quarrel with God when he stops the sweet influence of comfort. Rather, he should submit to and embrace his sacred will. But though the Lord might, by virtue of his sovereignty, withhold comfort from the mourner, yet there may be many significant causes given in regard to God and also in regard to themselves why mourners lack comfort.
In regard to God, He sees it fit to withhold comfort so that He may raise the value of grace. We tend to esteem comfort above grace. Therefore, God locks up our comforts for a time so that He may enhance the price of grace. When coins go better than gold, the king will call in the coins so that the price of gold may increase. God desires His people to serve Him for Himself, and not for comfort only. It is an unfaithful love to love the husband's money and gifts more than himself. Those who serve God only for the comfort do not serve God as much as they use Him to serve themselves. When God's mourners lack comfort, it is most often because of themselves. A. Through mistake, which is twofold. They don't go to the right spring for comfort. They go to their tears when they should go to Christ's blood. It's a kind of idolatry to make our tears the basis of our comfort. Mourning is not meritorious. It is the way to joy, not the cause of it. Jacob got the blessing in the garments of his elder brother. Genesis 27:15. True comfort flows out of Christ's sides. Our tears are stained until they are washed in the blood of Christ. In me ye might have peace. John 16:33. The second mistake is that mourners are privileged people and may take more liberty. They may slacken the strings of duty and let loose the reins to sin. Christ has indeed purchased a liberty for His people, but it is a holy liberty, not a liberty for sin, but from sin. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. 1 Peter 2, 9. You are not in a state of slavery, but royalty. What follows? Do not make Christian liberty a cloak for sin. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness. 1 Peter 2.16. If we quench the sanctifying spirit, God will quench the comforting spirit. Sin is compared to a cloud. Isaiah 44.22. This cloud intercepts the light of God's countenance. B. God's mourners sometimes lack comfort through discontent and irritability. David makes his uneasiness the cause of his sadness. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Psalm 43, 5. An uneasy heart, like a rough sea, is not easily calmed. It is difficult to make a troubled spirit receive comfort. This uneasiness arises from various causes, sometimes from outward sorrow and sadness, and sometimes from a kind of envy. God's people are troubled to see others have comfort while they lack it, and now they sulk and refuse comfort, and like a spoiled child refuse to eat. My soul refused to be comforted. Psalm 77, 2. Indeed, an uneasy spirit is no more fit for comfort than a distraught person is fit for counsel. From where does the mourner's discontent come except from pride? Did not God deal well with him in stopping the influences of comfort? Oh, Christian, your spirit must be more humbled and broken before God will empty out his golden oil of joy. See, the mourner is without comfort for lack of applying the promises. He looks at sin, which may humble him, 
but not at the word which may comfort him. The mourner's eyes are so full of tears that he cannot see the promise. The virtue and comfort of a medicine is in applying it. When the promises are applied by faith, they bring comfort. Isaiah 49, 15-16, Hosea 2, 19. Faith brings nourishment from the promise. Satan desires to keep us from comfort, so it is his policy either to keep the promise from us so that we may not know it, or to keep us from the promise so that we may not apply it. There is not a promise in the Bible that does not belong to the mourner, if he only has the skill and dexterity of faith to lay hold of it. D. The mourner may lack comfort through too much earthly-mindedness. By feeding excessively on earthly comforts, we miss out on heavenly comforts. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I wroth, and I hid me. Isaiah 57, 17. Dirt puts out the fire. Worldliness extinguishes the flame of divine joy in the soul. An eclipse occurs when the moon, which is a dense body, comes between the sun and the earth. The moon is a representation of the world. Revelation 12, 1. When this comes between, there is an eclipse in the light of God's face. Those who dig in mines say there is such a dampness that comes from the earth that it puts out the light of a candle. Earthly comforts send forth such a dampness that puts out the light of spiritual joy. And E. Perhaps the mourner has had comfort and lost it. Adam's rib was taken from him when he was asleep. Genesis 2.21 Our comforts are taken away when we fall asleep in security. The spouse lost her beloved when she lay upon the bed of sloth. Song of Solomon 5.2.6 For these reasons, God's mourners may lack comfort. However, so that the spiritual mourner may not be too much downcast, I will reach forth the cup of consolation, Jeremiah 16, 7, and will speak a few words that may comfort the mourner in the absence of comfort. Jesus Christ was without comfort. Therefore, it's no wonder if we are without comfort also. Our comforts are not better than His. He who was the Son of God's love was without the sense of God's love. The mourner has a seed of comfort. Light is sown for the righteous. Psalm 97, 11. Light is a metaphor used here for comfort, and it is sown. Though a child of God does not have comfort always in the flower, yet he has it in the seed. Though he does not feel comfort from God, yet he takes comfort in God. A Christian may be high in grace and low in comfort. The high mountains are without flowers. The mines of gold have little or no corn growing on them. A Christian's heart may be a rich mine of grace, even if it is barren of comfort. The mourner is heir to comfort, and though God may forsake his people for a small moment, Isaiah 54 7, yet there is a time soon coming when the mourner will have all tears wiped away and will be filled with comfort. This joy is reserved for heaven, and this brings me to the second point. They shall be comforted. 
Although in this life some conversations and tokens of love pass between God and the mourner, yet the great comforts are kept until later. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16:11. There is a time coming, the day star is ready to appear, when the saints will bathe themselves in the river of life, when they will never see a wrinkle on God's forehead again, but His face will shine, His lips will drop honey, and His arms will sweetly embrace them. The saints will have a spring tide of joy, and it will never be low water. At that day the saints will put off their mourning and exchange their mourning clothes for white robes. Then the winter will be past, and the rain of tears will be over and gone. The flowers of joy will appear, and after the weeping of the dove, the time of the singing of birds will come. Song of Solomon 2, 11-12. This is the great consolation, the jubilee of the blessed that will never expire. In this life the people of God get a taste of joy, but in heaven the full vessels will be opened. There is a river in the midst of the heavenly paradise that has a fountain to feed it. Psalm 36, 8-9. Considering the times we are cast into, being for the present sad and cloudy, it will not be inappropriate for the reviving the hearts of God's people to speak a little of these comforts that God reserves in heaven for His mourners. They shall be comforted. The greatness of these heavenly comforts is expressed most appropriately in Scripture by the joy of a feast. Mourning will be turned into feasting, and it will be a marriage feast, which is usually kept with the greatest earnestness. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 9. Heinrich Bullinger and Gregory the Great understood this supper of the Lamb to refer to the saints eating with Christ in heaven. After hard labor, people eat supper. When the saints will rest from their labors, Revelation 14, 13, they will eat with Christ in glory. Now to discuss something about the last great supper. It will be a great supper in regard to the founder of this feast, God. It is the supper of a king. Therefore, it will be sumptuous and magnificent. The Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Psalm 95, 3. Where should there be dignity and magnificence but in a king's court? It will be a great supper in regard to the cheer and provision. This exceeds all hyperboles. What blessed fruit the tree of life in paradise yields! Revelation 2, 7. Christ will lead his spouse into the banqueting house. Song of Solomon 2, 4. He will feast her with those rare foods and cause her to drink that spiced wine, that heavenly nectar and savor with which the angelic powers are infinitely refreshed. First, every dish served at this heavenly supper will be sweet to our palate. There is no dish here that we do not love. Christ will make such savory food that he is sure his spouse loves. Second, there will be no lack here. There is no lack at a feast. The abundant fullness in Christ will prevent any lack, and it will be a fullness without oversupply because a fresh course will continually be served. Third, 
Those who eat of this supper will never hunger again. Hunger is a strong source. The Lamb's supper will not only satisfy hunger, but it will prevent it. They shall hunger no more. Revelation 7, 16. It will be a great supper in regard to the company invited. Company adds to a feast, and it is of itself source to sharpen and encourage the appetite. Saints, angels, and archangels will be at this supper. Christ Himself will be both founder and guest. Scripture calls it an innumerable company. Hebrews 12:22 What makes the society sweeter is that there will be perfect love at this feast. The motto will be one heart and one way. All the guests will be linked together with the golden chain of love. It will be a great supper in regard to the holy mirth. A feast is made for laughter. Ecclesiastes 10:19 at this supper there will be joy and nothing but joy. Psalm 16:11. There is no weeping at a feast. Oh, what triumphant acclamations will there be! There are two things at this supper of the Lamb that will create joy and mirth. First, there will be joy when the saints consider that they are kept from a worse supper. The devils have a supper, such a one as it is, a black banquet. There are two dishes served there. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every bite they eat makes their hearts ache. Who would envy them their dinner here who must have such a supper? Second, it will be a matter of joy at the supper of the Lamb that the master of the feast welcomes all his guests. The saints will have the smiles of God's face and the kisses of his lips. He will lead them into the wine cellar and will display the banner of love over them. Song of Solomon 2. Four, the saints will be as full of comfort as of sanctity. What is a feast without joy? Worldly joy is flashy and empty. This will be infinitely delightful and pleasing. It will be a great supper for the music. This will be a marriage supper, and there can be no better music than the bridegroom's voice saying, "My spouse, my undefiled, take your fill of love." There will be the angels' anthems and the saints' triumphs. The angels, those trumpeters of heaven, will sound forth the excellences of Jehovah, and the saints, those noble choristers, will take down their harps from the willows, Psalm 137, 2, and accompany the angels, praising and blessing God. I saw them that had gotten the victory over the beast, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Revelation 15, 2-3. Oh, the sweet harmony at this feast! It will be music without discord. This supper is great in regard to the place where it will be celebrated. In the paradise of God, Revelation 2 7. It is a majestic palace. It is majestic for its situation. It is of a very great height, Revelation 21 10. It is majestic for its prospect. All sparkling beauties are centered there, and the delight of the prospect is propriety. It is the best prospect where a person can see furthest on his own ground. 
It is majestic for its size. This royal feast will be held in a most spacious room, a room infinitely greater than the whole firmament, one star of which, if we may believe astronomers, is bigger than the whole earth. Although there is such a multitude that no one can number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, Revelation 7, 9, yet the table is long enough, and the room is spacious enough for all the guests. The second-century Roman author Aulus Gellius, in his thirteenth book, writes that a fit place is one of those four things that are required at a feast. The celestial heaven adorned with light, arrayed with rich hangings, embroidered with glory, and seated above all the visible spheres, is the place of the marriage supper. This infinitely surpasses the most profound search. I am no more able to express it than I can span the firmament or weigh the earth on a scale. It will be a great supper in regard to its duration. It has no end. Those who are devoted to fleshly pleasures have a short feast and a long reckoning, but those who will sit down at the heavenly banquet will not rise from the table. The cloth will never be taken away but they will always be feeding upon those sweet desserts and delicacies that are set before them. We read that King Ahasuerus made a feast for his princes that lasted an hundred and fourscore days, Esther 1, 4. But this blessed feast, reserved for the saints, is forever. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, 11. For your consolation, Consider how this may be as Bezoar stone to keep the hearts of God's people from fainting. They shall be comforted. They will sit with Christ upon the throne, Revelation 3, 21, and will sit down with Him at the table. Who would not mourn for sin if they are sure to meet with such rewards? They shall be comforted. The marriage supper will make amends for the valley of tears. Psalm 84, 6. O saint of God, you who are now watering your plants and weeping bitterly for sin, your water will be turned into wine at this last and great feast. You who now subdue your corruptions and discipline your body, 1 Corinthians 9, 27, by prayer and fasting, will soon dine with Christ and angels. You who refused to touch the forbidden tree, will feed upon the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 2, 7. You impoverished saint, who have barely a bit of bread to eat, remember for your comfort that in your father's house there is bread enough. Luke 15, 17. And he is making ready a feast for you where all the delicacies of heaven are served. Feed with delight upon the thoughts of this marriage supper. After your funeral, your festival begins. Hunger and thirst for supper time. The delay is long that separates us from our honey-sweet joys. Christ has paid for this supper upon the cross, and there is no fear that we will have to pay. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 1 Thessalonians 4, 18.